Hello and welcome to Beer Prime, episode 35, featuring Werewolf Beer. Hi, I'm Paul. Thanks for joining me again on the Beer Prime podcast. This episode is a bit of an American special. Not like the last one I did with the Brewers Association and several US breweries, but both guests, yes, both guests, are from America. The first one is still over there, whilst the second and main guest is establishing his very own American brewery in London. So before I head over to speak to Rich White of Werewolf Beer in Camden, I welcome my first guest who has just released a crime novel based in the world of beer called An Oktoberfest Death. Welcome to Thomas J. Miller. Hi, Paul. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Uh, thanks for joining me today. And uh, thanks for sending me a copy of the book, uh, a digital copy, which, uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording, um, I just finished about half an hour ago. So it's all fresh in my mind. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, really, really enjoyed the book. So um, before we go on to the book itself, I know you have uh, a background in beer as well. So let's talk about your background. Sure. Um... I, I say this to friends um, who who know about me in the craft world. Um, I, I like to say that I, I, was, I was craft beer cool before craft beer was cool. Um, I, the gray beard here kind of gives away a little bit of my age. Maybe I should change my camera a little bit. Um, <laughs> gives away some of the age, but I, I started in the craft beer scene back in the late 1980s. Um, first uh, traveling to uh, Germany when I was honestly in high school um, and had an opportunity to start sampling European, um, specifically German style uh, beers in central, what was then West Germany at the time, and just developed um, at a young age, a great interest in beer, the flavor of beer. Um, I, uh, uh, I was that strange high school student who rather than have in my high school locker um, pictures of attractive ladies, you know, pasted up on the inside. I, I used to cut out um, advertisements from European magazine of, of the beautiful pictures of like German beer with the wonderful head of foam on top of it and stuff like that. Um, right. So that was, that was kind of like my passion at a young age. I was very interested in it. And um, late 1980s is when I first uh, traveled, I was traveling from where I lived in, in the Midwest in Ohio, um, across the country for a opportunity I had to work out in Montana. We took kind of a roundabout journey and um, ended up in St. Louis and took a tour of the Anheuser-Busch Brewery um, and uh, uh, didn't know anything really about beer brewing at the time, but that sure opened my eyes to, to beer brewing. And um, by the end of that summer, the friend that I had traveled with, he found a real thin little book um, uh, about how to brew beer. And it was the basic fundamentals of home brewing. It was at the time that home brewing was really just becoming a bit of a, of a hobby in the United States. And um, I took that little nugget and I was off and running, right? There were small, there were breweries that were around in the United States at the time that were starting to crop up. Um, and about a year later, I was, I was interviewing for opportunities, seeing if I could find jobs um, in the United States. I did a lot of like shadow interning at, at these small breweries that would pop up. So not like actually working or getting paid, but just asking if I could kind of watch the brewers and participate in their brew days mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. And just through osmosis in a sense, learned quite a few things. And uh, 
um, I had the, the opportunity, right when I was getting ready to graduate from college, I interviewed for a role um, at Great Lakes Brewing Company, which is in Cleveland. That's my, again, where I grew up in the Cleveland area. Yeah. Um, and that's when, when Great Lakes was just getting started and um, did not secure a position. And I do not have a recollection whether that was them not hiring me or me not taking a role, but nonetheless, it was as I was graduating from high school. So it wasn't this, I'm sorry, college. So it wasn't like I was necessarily um, committed to getting that job because it would be back in my hometown. I still had that that Wanderlust sort of thing. I studied German. I liked to travel and um, wanted to be different places. So it could have been that I passed on an opportunity or they just didn't hire me. It doesn't matter. Nonetheless, I ended up um, doing some more shadow interning for the for about a year um, between finishing college and going back to, to graduate school. And when I went back to graduate school um, in in St. Louis, actually, it was where I landed. Um, I was pursuing a graduate degree in German and um, had, again, this passion for German beer and started doing research at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery about um, literature in Germany that had to do with German beer history and German beer culture. And the, the results of that research, this is all pre-internet, I should note, right? Mm. So this is like, to the library and looking stuff up at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Um, the result of that research allowed me to write a lot of these places in Munich that had, um, uh, or actually all through Germany, that have a lot of historical support for German beer culture, German beer history. And, uh, and I wrote a lot of letters, got a lot of positive responses to my desire to do research around that. And when an opportunity in my second year of graduate school opened up, um, in Munich, I, I was able to go to Munich and um, not just go there as a student. I went early, about five months before classes were going to start, and just did the old shoe leather thing, walking around from brewery to brewery and asking for a job, and ultimately ended up getting um, a position working in a brewery. And um, a lot of that experience overall, living in Munich and various aspects of that experience, um, uh, informs the the context around Oktoberfest death, the first novel that I've written. Mm -hmm. um, then after that experience and through publications and things, I, I started working for a brewery in uh, Wyoming when I came back to the United States. I got into the sales side of brewing uh, for a period of time and then started writing for the for the both the craft beer industry for some early magazines that were created called like Brew Pub Magazine. Uh, was an industry magazine and then I did a lot of hobby writing also for like Brewery Your Own Magazine and other newspapers. So it's been something that you know I've been involved with now for well over 30 or even maybe 40 years at this stage in one way shape or form. And mm. um, and then the, the novel on Oktoberfest Death and the subsequent series is just a continuation of the passion that I love that I that I have for for beer and craft beer in particular. Absolutely. Let's get on to the book itself then. Um, sure. um, why did you decide to switch from sort of writing about beer into kind of spinning it into a, a murder mystery? I, um, I had to make the decision from a career perspective a bunch of years back. I was very involved in, in writing as a columnist, for example, for Brew Your Own and, and some of the other sister magazines, as well as just other freelance work that I was doing for the industry. Um, as I got more involved in the career that I ultimately landed in, it just became harder and harder 
to dedicate the time to the research and the interviews and the things like that. Similar, similar to what you're doing now, right? It takes time to, to prepare for these sorts of interviews, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it becomes work in and of itself. And so, um, you know, I, I had to choose a trajectory. And so I sort of uh, retired from writing for a period of time, but something that um, I find to be pretty easy to do um, in a sense uh, in my free time is just be creative and, and noodle around on creativity. And um, so I, I started, I don't know, I sort of tried for a period of time to work on certain things without really getting much traction. And then I uh, had worked on this particular manuscript with a longer concept, concept in my mind of doing this, of this series, right? Um, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail, but doing this series. Um, but, you know, writing a, a piece of fiction, finding an agent or publisher is all fairly difficult. Um, and it's it's easy to do the creative part. It's hard to do the business side of it in a sense, right? Like, how do you take it from one side to the other? Yeah. Um, and and, ch and changes in technology um, have really, you know, offered a, a whole new avenue to do this sort of thing. And um, and so I've, I happened to I, I had written the, the manuscript, put it in a drawer, so to speak, or you know, on a on a disc, and just kind of hadn't done much with it. And then I happened to meet. Um, a couple of years ago, a, a friend of my wife's who had, was working for a, uh, a publishing company at the time, and she encouraged me to take it the next step. And so um, I took a finished idea, maybe half-baked idea, and started working with some editorial support and um, things like that, and uh, and really took it across the finish line. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I didn't know that I'd actually get to the stage when I started the process of writing it, but now that I've got the first one sort of notched, um, and uh, the rest of the, the concepts are in the back of my mind is where, where I want this series to go. It's just, um, it's finding the time to continue to get the creative juices moving and, 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 and keep the series kind of running. Sure, okay. Uh, so explain the, uh, the storyline to the book. Um, obviously not giving too much away for the listeners who, who want to, to read it themselves, but if you explain the, the premise. Well, so the, the the easiest thing, though, to recognize in the series, in the book itself now, is that each title is going to have some sort of a beer style name in it, right? So the first title is an Oktoberfest death. And I know that from a beer style, I could have also called it Merzen murders, is what I kind of originally started with was Merzen murders. But I decided, well, a little bit of artistic license is needed there. And I even made sure I went to the beer style guidelines and, and double checked. Like, okay, they do call Oktoberfest a style in a lot of cases. So I kind of juggled that idea around. But um, yeah, I landed on Oktoberfest death and had a little bit more of a, of a jabby ring to it, I suppose. Um, but each title going forward will have a different beer style in it. Um, and it's going to move from, from location to location. And the first, um, the first novel is really the, the premise is that we have a Buffalo, New York police officer, now retired. And, and the, the reason behind the police, the Buffalo police officer will come, um, I think, up to better understand as the novel series continues, right? The, the, not just the reason that I like her being a Buffalo police officer is because I happen to have the opportunity to live in Buffalo for, for five years and um, not from the area. And so, you know, I find little idiosyncrasies about that community to be kind of um, fun and funny and things like that. And so I get to sort of note softly some of those idiosyncrasies that I know about the community as a, as a writer, right? So it's just sort of a, a fun way to um, relive and recount some of the experiences that I had living there for five years. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it also plays an important part in the longer arc of the story. And again, that'll become more clear as people read more. Um, but my, my Buffalo police officer retires. She's had a failed marriage. Um, uh, and she uh, decides that she wants to pursue a different passion in life and, and discovers that she has a, a great um, uh, palate, like a great just natural capability around beer. And uh, so she starts pursuing Cicerone training and, uh, and in, a, in a way that I think in, re in reality, in real life is not possible. She completes the master Cicerone in like world record time. But again, artistic <laughs> license, I I'm able to do yeah. that because I need to hustle her along. And so she gets the master Cicerone and, um, and decides the place that she wants to go as a way of breaking the monotony of her own life and creating new experiences for herself is to Munich, to visit Oktoberfest, to have a real experience for her palate uh, development at the Oktoberfest with Munich and also other Bavarian style beers. Okay, fantastic. And uh, the brewery that features uh, obviously quite front and center uh, of all of this is the world famous Augustina. Mm -hmm. Any particular reason you chose to focus on them? Well, I mentioned earlier that I had an opportunity to work at a brewery when I went over and shoe leathered through uh, Munich as a student. Well, Augustina is the brewery that I worked at. So, so uh, again, it's fiction. To be clear, in case someone from Augustina, <laughs> it's fiction. But you know, some of the the when I speak specifically about parts of the brewery, um, it, it my experience in, informs what I've written in the book, right? So, like the images and the things that I recall about um, certain aspects of of the brewery. Uh, again, without going into detail, so that readers can enjoy it, uh, those descriptions, those experiences, um, th those came from a, from a real life um, perspective for me, fictionalized. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and of course, uh, probably around um, the city itself as well with all the references uh, to the various different landmarks and uh, sites around the city. Oh, absolutely. I can. So one of the things that starts the book is the experience that my main character has where she uh, travels from Munich to to the city of Garmisch, the town of Garmisch, south of Munich, um, because she's at the Oktoberfest and she makes a decision um, to take a train ride as a way to sleep off her inebriation as opposed to getting a hotel room. Um, when I, I, I mentioned that I had lived in Europe on a couple different occasions, I mentioned that I had lived in, in Munich, but prior to living in Munich, I had lived in Salzburg. And so I kind of experienced that firsthand, how you could use the train as like a two hour train ride from Munich to Salzburg, you know, when I go back home to Salzburg to kind of sleep off a little bit of a bender. So, um, so that was, again, it was based informing on real life to create a fictional situation in my book. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of uh, great fiction is based on, you know, real life experiences anyway. Right. Um, but Bethany drinks rather a lot, doesn't she? Yes, she does. And, and I'm <laughs> glad you noticed that. <laughs> it's, it's, but again, it's intentional and it's funny. I, I just had an opportunity to speak with the, another uh, person that I'm friends with and he told me that he actually read the book too. And that was pretty, also something that he noticed is that she has a tendency to drink, not just a little, but to, to an excess. And, uh, but again, 
it, it pertains to her character and it pertains to her background as well, because I don't explore this too much in the first novel. I am exploring it now as I'm completing the second novel. She's had a tragic life. She's seen a lot of bad things in her previous um, experiences as a uh, former police officer. And so while she doesn't necessarily recognize those things in her day to day per se, she does compensate for those things through um, her enjoyment of, of beer. Right, okay. <laughs> Uh, so what got me thinking as well, and I, I do this quite often actually when I'm reading a book, but you're much better placed to answer this question given that you wrote the book. If there were a film or TV adaptation, who do you see playing Bethany? Wow. I've had people actually ask that question and then I send it back to them and say, well, what do you think? And, and the funny thing is, is that, um, I found this one response to be the oddest of all, which was Melissa McCarthy. She's a comedian, right? And I thought, right, yeah. I didn't really know whether she could play that role, right? Because I see her as a comedian, but I recently saw her on a show. She ends up being a writer who also has like a, a, a broken background and they're getting treatment. It's like nine, nine perfect strangers is what it's called. It was just on, right. it's on right now. It stars Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And she, she plays a part that now I'm like, you know what? I think this person might have hit it dead on. I think that she could play the role and she, I think she'd be a really good character based solely on the way that I saw her play out this part on, on Nine Perfect Strangers. Okay, okay. So, so I, I I would not have agreed with that until I just saw it and I do think she'd be a great fit for the character. Right, okay. Um, myself, I was thinking perhaps Sandra Bullock. I can see, no? I can see that. <laughs> There's a long, long yeah, pause sorry. there. <laughs> The, the the downside I think to that is is more the way that I think that I envision uh, Bethany Judge. That's the main character's name, Bethany Judge, as a, as a character in my mind. And it, and I and there are things to which what you just said that I can agree with what you're saying, but I'm going to leave those unsaid because I just want to let other people try to come to their own conclusions as they kind of look through this. So it's, and sure. remembering that she's a police officer, I think that that matters a lot, right? Like in terms of 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 uh, her, her capabilities and, and all that kind of stuff. But she's also a former police officer and her life is changing. So I think there's just a lot of things that, that need to be considered and how that character would be portrayed. Sure, okay. It's an interesting question though, right? Because, you know, it was so many things that are happening now on TV and these great Netflix series. It's hard for me not to imagine in a perfect world, in a perfect world, that uh, if I get through four or five of these series and each one serves up as a, as a season on a TV show, like, like a Netflix series, um, that they would have to come to some decisions about how they would portray those characters. And, yeah. uh, um, and in a sense, you know, I, I, I've had this realization, many of your listeners probably don't uh, uh, know that Stephen King, the great Stephen King, the author, um, if you're familiar with his movie, The Green Mile, yeah. starred Tom Hanks. When, when Stephen King first published that novel, he published it as, as sort of a, in the early stages again of the internet, when things were changing in the publishing world, he first published that in like chapters. He didn't publish it as one big book. It was just a whole bunch of chapters and he published it over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was an interesting thing and then it turned into a, obviously the work of art that it is. Um, but, but as I'm developing this, the second series or a second uh, novel in the series, the more I've kind of come to this conclusion that that it's a longer arc that is one big story. It's not going to be like four or five separate stories that don't have a connection point. It's like everything 
things that weren't revealed about, for example, Bethany Judge in the first book are being revealed in the second book, right? And so while they can be read separately, I think if you get the connectivity and the flow of the story, reading it in order is going to make a lot more sense. Similar to how if you're watching a TV show, you know, and a, and a well done one, it's like, you know, a season ties into season ties into season. Sure, absolutely. And uh, the second book is going to be called A Stout Death. Is that a right? A Stout Death. Yep, yep. Excellent. And I, mean, I wouldn't believe are the finest final steps of this, but um, as I continue to go back and and do some editorial work, I find that there's some things that I need to tighten up. And there are some other considerations that I'm having from where it stands right now. Um, I'll leave those unspoken just in case I decide to, to leave it as it is, or if I decide to make changes and kind of let the, the readers um, you know, make the judgment for themselves. I am also in the process, I'm really excited about the fact that um, I think in fairly short order, I'll have the audiobook version of an Oktoberfest death um, coming out on Audible. Um, I've been working with a very talented voice actress um, and, uh, uh, you know, we continue to have communications about it. I was hoping to have it done in time for uh, the, the past you know, canceled Oktoberfest season from Munich's perspective anyway. Mm. Um, but as I've continued to tell her, um, quality is better than speed, so to speak. And let's just make sure it's done right. And that it's really great. And the work that I've heard her do so far is, is really impressive. And so I, I really look forward to seeing where this all comes out. So Oktoberfest death on Audible should be hopefully before the end of the year, but I'm being patient about it. Okay, excellent. And uh, if people don't want to wait for that and they want to read it, or in fact, if they just prefer to read it rather than listen to it, where can they get hold of it? The um, Probably the most simple place for people to order it is on Amazon, right? So Amazon uh, and search an Oktoberfest death. An Oktoberfest is spelled with a K. And my, my author name is Thomas J. Miller. Or you can go to my author website if, if you're looking for a signed copy. Um, I do do the autographed uh, copy uh, at thomasjmillerauthor.com. If you're an international listener, um, we may have to talk about the cost of shipping if we're going to, because uh, I do these here in the United States, I'll ship them just for one flat cost, similar to how Amazon does things. But if you're international and you want to sign copy, more than happy to do it. We just may need to uh, negotiate a little bit on the cost of shipping. Wonderful. Excellent. Okay. So excluding the german oktoberfest beers or you know any uh, german beers what uh, is your preferred style of beer well okay that's not really fair paul because i i've worked <laughs> in a german brewery and so I, I love german beer and as a home brewer and i homebrew a lot um and i'm always doing a variety of different things but i do have a tendency to focus on uh, German beer styles, both because there's a lot of reasons actually behind that anymore. One is because it's difficult from as a craft beer fan um, to find German style craft beers, right? It's like the, there's a tendency here in the US to, from a package perspective, there's a tendency to find a lot of IPAs and things like that. So I feel a little bit like if I'm drinking at home and I want an IPA, I can go out and pretty much find an IPA. But all that being said, I've, I've tended towards um, uh, really trying to perfect German style um, lagers uh, or, or German style wheat beers. So Bavarian style wheat beers, just because I love them. And again, it's the freshness quality. Like if I go and buy a beer from Germany, they tend to suffer from freshness. If they're truly brewed in Germany, I just had some Eyinger beer recently 
And you could tell it kind of jumped the shark going across the ocean that the quality it just diminished because of time and shipping. Yeah. Um, I, so I've done a variety of different German style beers. In fact, just this last summer um, at the Indiana Brewers Cup, my Keller beer won first place in the uh, Amber European beer style segment of, of that competition. So blue ribbon, gold medal, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Keller beer kind of rose to the top. But outside of outside of that, so um, right now, actually, I'm involved in formulating a recipe for um, it's a different podcast. Um, and uh, nonetheless, I was asked to participate in this thing um, where we're working with a brewery in Ireland and several different home brewers. And we're basically collaborating on the idea of brewing the ultimate Irish red ale. And uh, okay. Um, and so we are, uh, we're all kind of formulating our own recipe based on some of the things that the Irish brewer talked to us about. And um, so I think I know what I'm going to do with mine and just kind of, we're, we're in the, we're actually meeting, I think tomorrow um, to have this conversation as well. And, uh, uh, and just see whether we're all sort of in agreement, what each and every one of us is going to do. And so I'll sort of knock that one out and, uh, and, and see what we think. I also did recently an American amber style kind of like an alt style beer um take but not really a german alt style beer more of an american amber um with the intent of uh having that available as a thanksgiving um gift to my brother-in-law he's a big fan of certain amber style beers and so i i took a swing at that to see how that would turn out and um uh, i'm looking forward to it actually i haven't even cracked it open yet my first the first one of those i'm looking forward just to see what it, what it tastes like and then throughout the late summer i was I was uh, taking a twist on the German wheat beers and I was focusing only on American style wheat beers because I think that that's a, a bit of a forgotten category in the US. Um, not to say that there aren't plenty of American wheat beers out there, but what they've tended to mm. go towards are more hoppier styles, right? The hoppy wheat beers like the gumball head and the, uh, and the like, right? So a lot of those hoppier styles. And so I went back to the, the origins of the craft beer world where they were American breweries were making American wheat beers and they were not focusing on hops. They were focusing on using a very mild yeast and just focusing on the flavors of the beer. And so I've, I've um, toyed around with a few different recipes like that during the summer. Okay, wonderful. Well, all sounds great. And uh, again, congratulations on the book. Really enjoyed it and very much looking forward to uh, seeing where the story goes and uh, the the evolution uh, and as you say uh, more of Bethany's background as well so really looking forward to that thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, to chat with me Thomas Paul I appreciate the conversation thanks for having me on no worries thanks for your time bye-bye right an interesting chat with Thomas there and if you like crime slash murder mystery slash historical novels with a very healthy amount of beer content thrown in then I'd recommend an Oktoberfest death Okay, so before we go over to Rich White of Werewolf Beer, let's get some beer news. Beer news. So with the extra guest on today, I've decided to only concentrate on one beer news story, and that's the launch of Siren's Caribbean Chocolate Cake series for 2021. The Berkshire Brewers are famous for many great beers, but their annual release of Caribbean Chocolate Cake, or CCC as it's commonly known, excites stout fans, hell beer fans, across the nation and even further afield. 
The release is usually timed just nicely for a pre-Christmas treat and this year is no different as the beers will be available on the 19th of November, direct from Siren themselves or from many independent bars and bottle shops up and down the country. The series started out as a collaboration with American brewery Cigar City back in 2014 and has since taken on a life of its own with new variants released every year. Using chocolate from Willie's Cacao, the brewers experiment with other adjuncts in order to really push the boundaries of what can be achieved. Their spin bot allows them to infuse wood, cacao and any other ingredients for a depth of flavour. This helps them produce a dense, rich and luxurious stout layered with cacao for absolute chocolate heaven. Only one of the four beers has been announced so far and it's a triumphant return of the velvety and creamy nitro version. For me, this was actually I think the best one of the 2020 pack, albeit that it was actually a very close call. The list of bars and bottle shops participating in the launch is so long, so I won't recount it here. But if you want to check out where it's available, visit Siren's social media accounts for more info. Okay, so now let's turn our attention to the main guest of the episode, Rich White from Werewolf Beer, an American brewery in London, based in Camden. Rich has only just got the keys to his brewery and tap room, so he's about as brand new a brewery as you can get. Let's welcome Rich to the show. Hi, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me, Rich. Uh, really, really happy to be here and have a chat. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm really keen to find out what Werewolf is all about. Um, you know, obviously, the previous people that we've had on generally have been quite established that you're a brand new brewery, aren't you? I'm about as brand new as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, let's just just for record, it's, it's the 27th. We got keys to our premises on the 8th. Um, wow. And the the brewery is not in yet, and the electrics are not in yet, and the floor is going in currently. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so let's start at the beginning then. Uh, so as the keen-eared listeners will have already established, you're not from Britain, are you? No, no. I'm from uh, New York, upstate. Okay. Um, and so how did your beer adventure start uh, in, in the States? Uh, home brewing in my 20s and we were um, uh, so this is in Syracuse and I got into the um, Salt City Brew Club as Salt City is as Syracuse is known um, and it's a really really long established homebrew club it's been running since I think the 70s and possibly the 60s um, so there's always stuff going on and a lot of guys uh, moving up into um, actually actual brewing uh, careers and that's kind of uh, where it kicked off uh, sitting sitting downtown in Syracuse in Clark's Ale House uh, which is uh, a place with uh, 28 taps and one sandwich they did rare roast beef and <laughs> one uh, one hand pump of real ale okay and nice yeah that, that's kind of where it all kicked off okay um, and what were you doing there you you're brewing for them Oh, no, no, that was just uh, getting drunk with everybody and right. doing the homebrew thing. Um, yeah. So, we, um, so, yeah, I got really, really, really into homebrewing and decided maybe this is something I'd like to do for a living. Um, but uh, I had a good job, and leaving a job with health benefits, et cetera, um, in the States is not generally advisable. Mm. Uh, one reason to not go into brewing in the U.S. 
Uh, and, uh, I, so I did it. Uh, I started taking night jobs. So I started working at a brew pub called King Arthur's Steakhouse and Brew Pub in Oswego, <laughs> New York, uh, uh, in, in the lovely college town of Oswego, uh, which is the sort of place that gets, you know, four feet of snow in one night and is down <laughs> from a nuclear power plant. Uh, and that kind of got me got me rolling. I mean, my so my first brewing gig was brewing on a, like a 300 liter all copper clad kit um, with full steam and everything. Um, mm which was a bit full on for a guy who was doing batches in his kitchen. Yeah. So that, that went on for a while. I started working at Syracuse Suds Factory. Um, <laughs> don't look it up. Just, <laughs> just don't, I, I, I know nobody, nobody that works there is going to hear this because they don't care about here, uh, which is <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, and uh, yeah, that kind of, I, I was still homebrewing and hanging out with all the people and doing beer stuff, but I kind of gave up on brewing for quite a while until I moved here. And my wife, you know, my plan was to go from credit unions in the US into credit unions in the UK. And right. my wife is like, but you, but you don't have to. You could do whatever you want. And I'm like, yeah, but this is this is what I know. It's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Um, so I slid into that area. Um, but I was also started working at the Pelt Trader under Camden Street uh, just when they kind of first opened up um, just for money for Christmas before everything kind of started in my real job. And I was kind of pushed in the direction of the Bull in Highgate because uh, London Brewing Company was hiring. Right. Uh, and so I jumped on as assistant brewer and that's kind of where everything over here began. So 2014, uh, started brewing on a two-barrel kit in the kitchen of the Bull in Highgate. Okay, but then as you say, you started as an assistant, and then you graduated up to head brewer. Yes, so uh, head brewer left, and then this was at about the time uh, the company was planning on expanding into the Bohemia and North Finchley, uh, and putting in a big six-barrel kit um, and doing a line of keg beers and whatnot. So. Um, designed all the the new beers there and was when it's added all up it's almost exactly five years I was brewing there so uh did a lot of award-winning real ales uh, a lot of kind of ahead of their time sort of beers um sours and session IPAs that were really hop forward uh for you know 2015 2016 um and yeah and I kind of uh, we we sold a lot of beer and our beer went a lot of places, um, even though it was, you know, it's not a, it's not a massive company, um, but it, it always made good beer and it got where it needed to. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so obviously you came to a point at the, uh, the end of your time there where you thought I could do this for myself. That was the, that was the plan. And that was February, 2019. Um, and I said, you know what, it's time to, it, it's now or never. Um, I'm age 40 and I'm like, I, I should probably do this before I get any older. Um, and I thought I'd had enough experience with the business side of it and everything to, to get going. Um, and so I did. So uh, started up my little limited company of werewolf beer and promptly thought I was going to uh, get like a 40 barrel kit. And <laughs> um and just put in someplace massive and everything was going to be fine. And then I realized that was a silly idea. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, after a lot of back and forth and working with a business advisor, kind of focused on what I really wanted to do, um, which was to just have quality beer, have a good concept um, and do the sort of things I wanted to do. Um, at first I was thinking about some kind of really far reaching estate brands uh, that was gonna do cask and keg and would be really kind of, you know, somewhere between Thornbridge and Sierra Nevada. Um, and, I mean, you know, you know where, where I like, I mean, as far as like branding and look and feel, and I, I still am very into making very American clean craft beer. Um, the, that's not the brand I went with. And also um, the cask went by the wayside. Um, I think a five barrel kit turned up for sale at um, the Prince, uh, which was house brewing for a while. And they uh, they kind of packed it in and had a really nice little brew kit that didn't get used a whole lot. And they just wanted it out so they could refurbish the room and turn it into dining. And so I picked it up for very cheap. And that kind of made me go, OK, well, now I have something to work around. I have this size of a brew kit. So yeah. start building that. Um, and yeah, so uh, eventually uh, the name Werewolf Beer, because of uh, just for some reason, it was somewhere between Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon um, and an American werewolf in London popping back into my life uh, that being an American in London. Uh, so I thought I wanted to call it American Werewolf Brewery in London, and it just was far too long um, yeah. and, uh, and moved it to Werewolf Beer, an American brewery in London. Um, and yeah, so now the, the, the plan, uh, so I've just spent, Two years getting the brand ready. Uh, again, this was all during lockdown. Um, and I've been looking for property for a very long time and had a place identified, but it needed construction and it had been derelict for a really long time. Um, and I was just looking at signing signing up for it right before lockdown. And then it obviously was off the table at that time. So I've been waiting for construction and leases and everything I've been negotiating for the better part of two years mm. uh, to get the place I'm going into. Um, and yeah, so we're in there. Uh, one of the main things is I wanted someplace with footfall that had things around. I wanted other breweries to not be a million miles away. Um, but also it's a 14 minute walk from my house. Bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of that. So uh, no more commuting. Yeah. And That's... uh yeah that's good absolutely why not start something close to home nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that got to think of yourself as well as uh, everybody that you're brewing the beer for of course yes. uh, so uh you started up a crowdfunder uh, to to get some funding for the uh for the brewery how did that go um it was hellish but it went well um i i think i hemmed and hawed about it for three or four months um, and worked up uh, kind of the cost for everything and whatnot. And I cannot stress this enough to anybody listening that ever thinks about doing crowdfunding um, is uh, figure out what things cost and what it costs to ship them um, and figure in the amount of time you're going to spend doing it because you're basically standing there shouting, yelling at people to give you money for however long your crowdfunder is running and you can't stop 
Yeah. You cannot stop. Um, I had, this is where I first brought in uh, uh, Natasha Wolf uh, to give me a hand with things at, because she'd done quite a few with Mother Kelly's and uh, some other stuff. So she gave, gave me some advice, but um, it was basically um, just this charm offensive and media blitz of me being on as many podcasts and as many newspapers as possible and just tagging ridiculous amounts of people on Twitter things. And uh, the goal was 30,000 and we hit it. Um, had some really, you know, I won't go into details, but um, funds come from really bizarre places. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went over that a little bit and I'm really happy about it, but please, please don't start a crowdfund without planning in. Um, I mean, in my case, because it was me and Tosh helping out, um, I was on this 10 hours a day for 30 days. Yeah. Not counting the work beforehand. Um, so I, I know another company that they really didn't do it quite right. Um, they put in, I think they wanted 150 grand and they have quite a, quite a good brand. And, uh, but they acted like they didn't need the money and they had this concept. They were trying to give back to the, give back to their fans or whatever. Um, and their, their fans wanted to help them with stuff and they didn't present anything that needed help. Um, and I think they raised like 10 grand right. and they had given it all back. Uh, so it just, um, and they saddled one, one employee with it, uh, who didn't have a dog in the fight. Um, whereas mm -hmm. for 150 grand, I would expect you would pay somebody about, you know, five grand to run the crowdfund for a month or something like that. Sure. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, so you're, you're referring to when you say about the uh, figuring out how much things cost and the postage, you're referring to all the rewards that you're offering on the crowdfunder for various different levels. Yeah. Um, so tell us a few of those that were uh, up for grabs. Um, some of the big, I mean, obviously the, the easy to do and biggest ones were T-shirts. Um, and we had just kind of launched and decided on our logo, which you can see here on my lovely hat. Yeah. Um, but the, um, so those did well, but also uh, I got in Alan Graves who owns Haunted Tattoo in Holloway um, and is very, very well known in horror uh, illustration circles around the world um, and got him to do an exclusive t-shirt just for this. Um, and so we sold quite a lot of those uh, off of that. Um, we did, uh, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to do taproom credit but really we, we had to, to, to push things over the line. And so um, I've got some rewards there to give out. We've also, uh, we did silly things. I thought somebody was gonna pick up on it more, but we were doing, uh, you could have an evil curse or a, uh, some kind of uh, good hex uh, thrown into <laughs> a, a batch of beer we're making uh, for somebody you knew. And we I was gonna charge six pounds 66, but you can't do like fractions of a pound. So we had to do seven pounds. And so I only did like two of them. Um, we had, uh, I think it was 600 pounds. You could name one of our tanks. Right. <laughs> and we only had one person take that. Um, right. And they, uh, for, for you Rick and Morty fans out there, they named it uh, Trouble of a Dub Dub. <laughs> it's obviously Trub being the stuff that's left over in, in a tank after the beer comes out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that kind of stuff. We also had corporate sponsorship. So we had other businesses that want to kind of, you know, give us a boost uh, put in there. And uh, Brewing Days, 
Uh, and this weekend, we're going to have our first first chance at people to come in for their reward of a, uh, a free pint at a kind of launch party. Right. Okay. Obviously, for those listening, it was last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure it went very, very well. Actually, let me ask you, so, Rich, how did it go? Oh, my God, it was fantastic. <laughs> this is, oh, man, this is very, this is very... Um, uh, 1984. Yes, yeah. uh, the, the the weather the weather was great yesterday, wasn't it? Um, and it will be tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's going to be really good. Um, I'm stressing because nothing is in place, so I've pre warned everyone to kind of keep their expectations low. And I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy the beer and have a really good time, and not judge me on the fact that the place looks like a bomb site. Right. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, we're, we're. I'm sure they <laughs> won't. I'm sure they won't judge you at all. Uh, they'd just be glad, I think, to 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 grab some of your beer. Is the crowdfunder still available for people to donate on, or is it closed down now? No, no. That uh, yeah, it closed out in March, I think. That okay, March or whatever it was. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, uh, I could always use some money, but I don't think we're going to be running one of those again for a while. Sure. Okay. But I mean, I guess the way now for people to support you is to buy your beer and maybe some of that merch, you perhaps have some of that left over. So uh, Absolutely. Get, get get down to Camden, buy some beer, buy a t-shirt. That uh, tattoo, uh, tattoo artist t-shirt sounds cool. So I might have a look at that myself. Um, um, yeah, that one, that one was a one-off. And one of the plans is kind of quarterly. We're going to have a different new artist do a werewolf shirt for a limited time. Mm. Um, and we've got, I've got some good people kind of lined up. I've been speaking to somebody that does a lot of stuff for Metallica right now. Wow. Um, he's quite, quite big in, in certain circles in the UK. So, um, there's hopefully always going to be cool stuff. Um, the hats finally came in. I had to get these custom done because nobody would print under the brim and I'm <laughs> doing all flipped up, like, you know, suicidal tendencies, uh, kind of 80s <laughs> style here. Uh, but yeah, we hopefully um, the web shop will be up and running soon. Um, the tap, regular tap room hours are going to be uh, Friday evening and Saturday noon to nine kind of thing. Um, we've got a really fairly restricted license to start, so it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough uh, at first. But um, yeah. also uh, we are going to hopefully be canning soon, so you'll be able to have things delivered to home as well if you are not in the area. Awesome. Before you actually uh, got into your new brewery, you were producing some beer. Where were you brewing? Um, so I have been, let's see, uh, I've done a couple of batches with Dog's Granddad in Brixton. Mm -hmm. um, so they've, uh, Alex and Gus down there have been really, really helpful um, because they're just starting up. So they've had some capacity to use up. So uh, we did our pale ale and the pumpkin beer that's coming out this week. Um, there. Um, we've also, um, we will still have, I know we will still have some because we're just starting to sell it this weekend, which was last weekend, or, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. time travel. Um, but we, uh, we did a, uh, we did a collaboration with uh, the Mad Yank Brewery. Um, and that is a guava goza. Um, so okay. there should be some of that around to be had. Um, and yeah, we also, um, I had to do um had to do a beer for collab fest for brew dog 
um, which was an American brown ale. And we did that with uh, London Brewing Company. So my old stomping ground. Yeah. Oh, um, and then long, long, long before that, like almost almost a couple of years ago, um, we did a collaboration with um, Little Creatures when they were running the brew pub in King's Cross. Right. Yeah. yeah. OK, fantastic. Uh, so let's go back to that tap room then. So uh, it's it. Well, it's opening this weekend or to those listening. It opened last weekend. Um, what can we expect? I've seen some quite interesting things uh, said about you know, the decor for one. Um, and what's on offer so tell the listeners what they can expect when they when they do plan their visit to come to see you in Camden so we're modeling the tap room after an American style gas station uh, roadside attraction with snacks and you know things for you to buy um, as well as hopefully I think we're gonna have about 10 taps of beer on Mm -hmm. um, and anything you can get in cans um, which will so all of your soft drinks and low and no ABV, your cocktails and your wine, hopefully will all be in cans. Yeah. Um, then yeah. also uh, it, it's going to be a bit, a bit wacky because we bought the nightmare ghost train ride from rainbow park uh, <laughs> out in Norfolk when they, when they <laughs> tore it down. Um, so we've got some of the train cars to sit in um, and we've got uh, many various neon colored uh mummies and monsters and vampires uh up around the place so um <laughs> yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be somewhere between from dusk till dawn and you know uh some some amazing roadside americana fantastic sounds intriguing definitely definitely worth a visit i mean obviously for the beer of course but also uh because it sounds like it's not just your run-of-the-mill railway arches uh <laughs> tap room for sure uh, we will be playing, hopefully, hopefully all American or American-inspired music. So everything between country, Americana, rock and roll, rockabilly, psychobilly, Bruce Springsteen, Johnny Cash, you know, uh, all, all the important stuff. Yeah, sounds, sounds like up my street for sure. That's great. Um, now, I've got a question here that I'd written down to ask you, but I think we've kind of covered it. I was saying, why Camden? But, uh, you know, you were saying about obviously how you live nearby. Um, any other reasons? Um, I think it just really meets the vibe. I mean, I think the decision to have this be werewolf beer um, was kind of around the, the concept of being in Camden. Um, it, it's just a place that I'm comfortable. Um, you know, uh, th- this is the thing about being an adult. Uh, in London, you can do whatever you want. And so, you know, uh, aside from the fact that I can't really run around with a mohawk anymore due to being follically challenged, um, <laughs> I still go to go to punk gigs and buy lots of records. And so this brewery is a, an extension of that and just really fits in with what Camden is, what Camden's known for. Um, and so, it's hopefully it's going to be something for the Camden locals, the tourists, Americans visiting. Um, it, it should just be another extension of Camden Town. Yeah. And where is it? So if, if people are coming into Camden Town, as uh, let's say the, the, the Camden Town tube station, how far is it from there? Um, about a six minute walk. So you're just going to go down Camden Road to where the overground station is. Uh-huh. So if you know the, the big bridge that goes over the top that says Camden Town, yeah, uh, 
there's there's one on there's one on the lock side and then there's one on the other end and that's where i am um so i'm just behind uh where the the let's see the draft not the draft house the camden road arms uh is uh so off of royal college street uh on randolph street on the opposite side of where the colonel Fawcett is and okay. so it's we, we we are on all the google map the google maps we are in google maps <laughs> apple maps uh bing uh everything now so if you put in werewolf beer uh you'll you'll find it uh but basically we're a three minute walk from regent's canal um, which means uh we're now maybe 10 minutes to cold drops yard and king's cross um eight minutes the other direction to the new development in holly wharf uh, which is all retail and restaurants and, and entertainment. And um, eventually the Camden Highline project will be going over the top. Uh, so the disused rail line there is going to run, uh, be turned into a similar project to the Skyline in Manhattan yeah. uh, by the same architects. And that's going to be going from uh, basically near um, Camden Market uh, down to King's Cross. Oh, right. Cool. And so people will be able to get get through without having to go with side streets and whatnot and have a really nice view with garden and trees and things like that oh wow fantastic sounds great do you know the timescales of that uh, project is it a, a think, few years away or yeah i think phase one is supposed to be in about three to four years um which right. uh, goes from camden to me so the most important <laughs> part is there yeah uh, and by that time you'll be so established that it will be the reason that people go on the on that highland, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah there'll be there'll be it'll be just called the werewolf highland by that time, sure. Yeah. I, I think really it's going to be a bit of a weird thing because it sort of goes between um, where original Camden Town Brewery was is um, to me, and then over near um, it kind of finishes off over by Two Tribes. Okay, right. So when you, yeah, when you throw on Hammerton. Um, and maybe there's a couple others that might be close enough, um, but there's enough other beer businesses. Uh, it should be a nice little um, kind of trail of, of places to get good beer, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Look forward to that. Uh, so let's go back to the beers. You mentioned a few of the beers that you, you're making recently, your pumpkin beer, uh, one that, you know, a few of those. What other beers have you recently been making? Um, and what, do you see the future of the beers being? Um, so no matter what, and unless something really weird changes, the core range is going to be Psycho Billy, which is our American Pale Ale, um, Creepster, which is our American Brown Ale, Moon Stomp, which is a rice lager, and, and Horror Show, which is our rye IPA. Okay, excellent. So um, we are focusing on clear balanced, bitter, um, kind of classic American craft beers with a good mouthfeel um, and, you know, decent clarity. Um, and that is very beery. I think they're quite brewed to style uh, mm. as, as things go. Um, but then obviously we've got a small pilot kit in and we'll be doing um, uh, seasonal, like, you know, obviously like the pumpkin beer, which is Halloween, which you'll be able to see the next few weeks, I think. Um, I think really visually the, the concept was all of the beers are going to be quite um, interesting colors. So we're going to be looking to use natural ingredients to 
make, you know, beers that are pink, purple, red, orange, blue, uh, those kind of things. And at one point, one of the thoughts was to get um, the kind of the uh, tap line fonts that actually have kind of a reservoir on them that are lighted so you can see what the beer looks like. Um, okay. They're, they're, they're much more expensive than I want them to be. <laughs> uh, so I think for now, we're just going to have regular fonts. But um, yeah, I think I think visual impact and having bright, really appealing looking beers of any color is yeah. kind of something something i find important and want the brand to kind of do mm. i mean i i get how natural ingredients are going to give a few of those colors but blue uh i mean i don't want to give away the secrets but there, there are quite a few things that will turn stuff blue okay uh, as, as long as as long as you start with a really 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 pale wart to start there's uh things like seaweed um and uh, and other things that will do that so right yeah okay excellent and they're going to be the more experimental ones you'll have the as you say the core range on a regular basis but you'll have some experimental ones any any dark offerings um i really 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 um i need to get uh some kind of at least for seasonal i think we're going to have uh, i need a coffee stout i need a really good coffee stout uh, th this is uh, when you uh, another brewer um, kind of said to me, you know, and he's American and he's brewing at another brewery here. Said, "What's your range going to be?" And I told him, and he's like, "That sounds like a lineup at a brew pub in the U.S. in like 1995." And I said, <laughs> "There we go." I was like, "That that is what I was going for." So, uh, you know, it might at first look sound a bit pedestrian, but they're going to be time-tested styles that people hopefully will know or will get used to here um, that are going to be done well. So, um, mm. you know, that's that's kind of kind of what I'm going for there. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, what's your favorite style of beer? Um, anything with rye is right up there. I love rye. I love rye everything. Um, rye lager. Roggenbach, uh, Rye IPA, though, is one of my favorites, which is why we're doing a horror show, because um, I absolutely love it. Um, then possibly if, I mean, I can't drink it forever because I would probably have heartburn, uh, a lot of heartburn. Um, stuff like generally Flanders Red. Okay. Yeah. And then just nice, crisp, clean, super bitter American IPA. Okay, what West Coast style? I don't want to call it that because because that <laughs> that impli that implies that there it, it was called that before East Coast was a style. Right. True. 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 But just not hazy. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. But yes. yes okay. That, that's the one. Fantastic. Sounds great. I do. I do love a. Well, uh, yeah. I'm. I'm not going to call it a West Coast IPA. Now you said that, but I do love that nice, absolutely crisp see you know see your hand through the other side of the glass really bitter um love that kind of uh that kind of ipa so yeah great uh right okay now let's go on to something which uh you've been doing quite recently which kind of ties in the beer and the inspiration for the name of your of your brewery 
you've been sponsoring horror movie nights at the Prince Charles Theatre just off of Leicester Square. Yes. Yeah, and it's been going really well. Um, we supply beer for every showing, but um, it's been such yeah, such a success uh, that they just keep it on and people have been been going through it. They've actually run out and I need to go make a delivery tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and so basically we've just had cans of um, the Psychobilly Pale Ale in there, um, but we kicked it off by doing a 40th anniversary showing of An American Werewolf in London, mm -hmm. which uh, basically, I, when I was thinking of things that I had to do to launch this brewery, um, that has been at the top of my list. So that was like, th there wasn't a, a specific commercial benefit to doing this other than I just wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about it for years. And so August 21st was the official, the, the exact 40th anniversary of the, the release. Um, so we bought the theater out and I, you know, got on stage and invited everybody to a nice uh, showing of the most important werewolf film of all time. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, I've been uh, uh, watching a few horror movies uh, with my son over the last few days. And um, I love American Wolf in London anyway. It's absolutely one of my favorite um, horrors. And because I knew I was speaking with you today, I thought when we were thinking about which one, I thought, yeah, we got, we got to watch that. So uh, we watched it the other day. I probably haven't seen it in about 10 years. And it was, you know, I was just, my son was actually telling me to shut up because I was quoting. <laughs> I was just quoting along, especially, especially in the, in the scenes of see you next Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> which, which is just, you know, <laughs> the most ridiculous <laughs> porn movie ever. But um, I'm not your wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Just incredible. I love I love the movie, and uh, it was great showing it to my son. He's recently uh, turned eighteen, so uh, I so enjoyed uh, showing that to him. So, what other horror movies do you love? Um, is it just American Werewolf, or are you into lots of other horrors? I um, I think I think I've hit on this before. Is I am not like the world's most knowledgeable film buff, and especially not horror person. Um, definitely a big um, Godzilla person. Like I can, I can just watch Godzilla all day long and I watch a lot of sci-fi, but um, I think as far as horror, um, I kind of leaned into a lot of the, uh, a lot of the trauma stuff. So, okay. uh, so Toxic Avenger um, and those sort of things, generally horror comedy. Um, and it's being, you know, obviously the uh, American Werewolf is kind of the the archetype of that, the the best horror comedy you can hit. Um, mm. But there's so much good stuff coming out these days. Uh, newer stuff like uh, definitely see Wolf Cop. Wolf Cop. Yes, I've not heard yes. of that. Tell me about that one. Uh, look it up. It's uh, it's I want to say it's Canadian. Um, but basically, uh, down on his luck, uh, alcoholic police officer. Um, ends up becoming a werewolf and having to stop a uh, a horrible occult plot in his hometown um, and becomes the hero of it. It even has a sequel. Uh, so, <laughs> but it can't be too uh, bad at all then if it's got a sequel. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, the sequel has Kevin Smith in it. I think he might have produced it. Um, oh, right. And it has it has uh, people trying to do something evil using beer. Um, so <laughs> I think that probably. That probably the one thing that reminds me of is: Have you ever seen Strange Brew? 
Uh, yeah, John Candy. Rick uh, Moran- no, Rick Moranis, isn't it? Sorry, Rick, Rick Moranis, Moranis yeah. and uh, uh, Dave Thomas. Uh, yeah. It's one of the things that was all, like always on, and my dad would always put it on when it was on TV. Um, and to this day, I still I still love it. I mean, the fact that the, uh, you know, the, the evil brewmaster is Max von Sydow. <laughs> and yeah. the entire story is based on Hamlet. Uh, so, so, yeah. Um, I, I'm watching a lot of whatever is on uh, Shudder lately and any of the Joe Bob Briggs uh, last drive-in stuff. Because um, basically... I, I like when people have ridiculous trivia about things. And so basically, even if I didn't particularly care about the film, every half an hour boy is going to come on and tell you uh, the most ridiculous things you would have never known about the filming of some, you know, slasher movie from 1984. Mm. Yeah, some of the other movies that have been that the Prince Charles have uh, been some of the old uh, werewolf, old American werewolf movies, haven't they? Uh, yeah, we start, I made sure to have the Wolfman, the original 1941. Lon uh, Chaney? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, definitely some, it's, you know, it, it's quite short and it's definitely wackier than I expected, <laughs> uh, but still uh, amazing to see, especially in, in black and white. Um, we just, I think one of the, I mean, there have been, there've been some really odd ones, um, but the one we just did was the Monster Squad. Um, right. And um, the actors, uh, so Andre Gower and uh, Ryan Lambert, who were the child stars in the film, uh, actually popped down and did a Q&A for us. Oh, super. And then, and, then, and then went for drinks after. So, yeah, yeah. It's that, that's the thing about the Prince Charles. It just draws people. It's, it's made for movie lovers. That's, yeah. what, that's yeah. what the place is. I absolutely love it. I've, I've been to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show a few times there, um, uh, dressed up, of course, naturally. Um, but also I remember seeing uh, They Live, the John Carpenter um, yeah. horror. Uh, so that would have been, what, mid-80s, 87, maybe, something like that? Something around there. Yeah. And uh, like, just as you were saying, um, they had a Q&A with uh, Rowdy, Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, and uh, yeah, he he hung around as well. It was it was brilliant. He's um, un- unfortunately Row- Rowdy Rowdy Piper is gone now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, the, the fact that um, their their popcorn boxes are either one that's the print of the carpet in the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, mm. or the other ones are just white with black letters that say "Consume," uh, etc. From all the hidden messages from They Live. Yeah, excellent. No, just uh, I just love going to that. I mean, I don't go too much anymore, but certainly when I was uh, working in London and living not too far away, uh, just a short bus ride in southeast London, uh, I was I was there quite frequently. Um, so uh, brings back memories thinking about it. I haven't been in a while, so maybe I should get down there. You, you definitely should. Um, by the time this so this will be out next week. So I think Teen Wolf will have just passed. Um, oh, but they right. did five more showings of American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. So so there's no no excuse for anybody not seeing it. And then we've still got Ginger Snaps, and I think we're finishing the season off with um, Dog Soldiers. Oh, excellent. All right. Brilliant. Uh, so 
from movies then onto music. You did mention a little uh, while ago that you'd be playing a lot of Americana, Johnny Cash, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, obviously those are, are things that, that you love, of course, you wouldn't play it otherwise. What other music are you into? Um, I'm into, I, I'm very picky, which makes people annoyed because I like one band and they go, well, if you like this band, you must like this band. Um, so I, I, it's a very pick and choose situation, but um, Bad Religion is always going to be my favorite number one band ever, ever, ever. You know, when, when you have uh, lyrics written by a guy who has a PhD in evolutionary biology, um, you know, you can't really go wrong. Um, and they've just, they've just, yeah, uh, they've just hit their 40th anniversary. Uh, so Bad Religion, still a lot of street punk and UK, UK 82 and Oi. So uh, Coxbar, The Business, uh, The Exploited, um, all the, the big hair and spiky leather jackets and shaved heads and boots. Uh, <laughs> stuff. And then uh, basically anything that came on from that in the second and third wave of it. Um, originally, uh, as a 20-something, the Dropkick Murphys, I think, are where a lot of people found that stuff mm. uh, in the States and then either continued on with that or just went to college parties and got drunk because uh, I think that's where a lot of Dropkick Murphy stuff ended up in the end and, you know, in the, in the soundtrack of The Departed. Um, but I kind of went backwards into all of the, all of the oi and stuff uh, from the, uh, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s stuff like angelic upstarts and, and whatnot, so. Okay, excellent. So we, we expect a few of those playing as well, or? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, think, I, think they'll, I think they'll get squeezed in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another thing uh, is kind of in the, I just feel like a good genre, and, and rockabilly is always good. Stray Cats are going to be in there, and actually, oh, sorry, that's another one of our core beers is uh, our citrus session IPA uh, called Stray Cat. Um, okay. But uh, between that and probably, you know, I think you'll hear some some of the new Psycho Billy that's more horror-based stuff like, um, oh gosh, uh, Creep Show or um, Necromantics, things like that. Um, and probably, I really, uh, if you're listening, Smeg, um, the guy, the lead singer of King Kurt, uh, we follow each other on Instagram. So, uh, you know, so if we want to, we'll throw on some King Kurt while we're at it. Fantastic, fantastic. I hope he's listening as well. That'd be great. I, I hope so. I'll, I'll tell him. I'll tag him in when it comes out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but what we do is the guest from the previous episode sets a question for the next guest, and they usually don't know who that guest is, so it's not a targeted, uh, right, okay, you know, it's, it's you know, Exxon next week. I'll ask him this. Uh, it's totally blind you've got a question from jordan uh, of unbarred brewery in brighton my question to the next brewery would be what do you see the future of ipa being maybe we'll say in the next two years how do you see the ipa evolving i really hope it like having having west coast air quotes by the way um <laughs> West Coast IPA coming up as a style again. Um, it makes me happy because I can walk into a bar and know that that's a thing I'm going to want to drink um, because it's so, uh, for me as a drinker, um, it's just uh, the, I don't generally care for the hazy things. 
and I don't need a triple IPA, and I want an IPA to be bitter. Um, so I hope, 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 hope um, it's going in that direction. Um, or I would like to see, um, uh, you know, because because keg and cask are going to do different things generally. Um, in the other direction, in casks, I'd like to see English IPAs coming through. I mean, uh, I go to real ale pubs, and there just isn't one ever. Mm. Um, and that makes me, it makes me sad. Like, I do, I mean, I go nuts for a really, really good best bitter, um, but I would just like a really solid cask IPA that is a go-to that you see often enough. Um, and I don't know who, who would do that. Um, so this isn't necessarily a prediction. It's more a, a wish list. Right. Because I do, I do not know, I do not know what to expect. Um, you know, what, what are people talking about now? Cold IPAs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and brute, brute IPA was an abomination. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I agree. I agree with you. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Um, I, you know, uh, Every, every beer and every brewer on their own merits. So I can't say without a doubt this this style I don't care for. But um, the the hazy stuff is just uh, when I when I order it at a bar and everybody's standing there with a pint of stuff that you can't see through and like uh, artificial light turns it opaque. Um, it's really tough to look at stuff and go which one of those would I want? And they could be seven different beers. I mean, yeah. visually it makes it really tough. Yeah. So I, I hope. I hope you know. You know what the the thing with that would be. I hope some visual changes maybe in IPA. But the other thing is, I still. Oh God, it's not so much styles, but I think vocabulary around um, beer and IPA IPAs in particular somehow becoming a bit more standardized. Mm. Um, so we kind of know what we're getting. I mean, I guess. I guess West Coast IPA coming forward as a as a term that seems to tell us exactly what we're getting, um, and I think everybody agrees what that is. Um, yeah. I like I like that. I'm a fan of that. Okay. <laughs> if, if we're going to have a trend, I'd like a well defined trend that I can tell what the hell it is. Okay. And what's your thoughts on black IPA then? Um, I used to love them, and when you can get like a really really good one. Um, they're really, really nice, but again, um, it's a tough one to hit. Um, and it's like, for me, it's uh, American brown ale never, never took off here. And they're somewhat similar in some mm. ways. They, I mean, not a lot of ways, but I mean, I think they, they end up in the same category here because they're not something people are used to. I mean, a, a, a American brown is a completely different style from English brown ales. So yeah. Um, a few years ago when red beers and brown beers were hitting again in keg bars, um, I, I saw a lot of examples of stuff that I was not really fond of. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if black IPA is going to, I don't know if black IPA is going to come back, but if, if it is, um, can we, should we, should we go with the Cascadian dark ale? Should we go with that term? Right. Okay. Instead of, uh, instead of, of course, the oxymoron of it being a black pale ale yeah which is what a lot of people say is is why you can't have it but uh yeah i get your point cascadian 
dark ale right excellent uh so rich i wonder if you could set a question then for my next guest in a couple of weeks time if there was one technological improvement that you could institute across the board for all uk brewers so if you could wave a wand and end up with one technological um improvement for all brewers um what would it be what do you think would be the most helpful for the industry and for the quality of beer right okay i'll certainly ask that to the uh, to the next guest do you have any thoughts on it yourself um it's cold side it's cooling yeah it, uh, consistent cooling there uh, there have been breweries that for years i i really didn't uh love the beer and then uh something like that changes and then all of a sudden everything is fantastic i think i think yeah uh, just temperature and temperature control yeah fantastic fantastic great well rich uh it's been excellent chatting with you thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to have a chat um i hope that everything goes really well for you uh, this weekend. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting down and uh, and seeing you guys in person and enjoying a, a beer or two. Yeah, no, uh, more than welcome. We would love to have you. Um, and, you know, if you want to shoot an episode or do something on site, we can do that too. Wonderful. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Excellent. Thanks again for your time, Rich. Thanks so much. See you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. That sounds like such an awesome project. I really can't wait to get down to the tap room and try some of Rich's beers. Uh, as Rich said, though, if you're planning on visiting them, check their socials first to make sure that he's going to be open. After the Halloween weekend, he will probably need to brew some more beer before he can open again. So it's definitely something for the nice cold winter months to come. Right, before we wrap up this episode, just time for me to talk about what I've been up to recently in the world of beer. So in my two visits to Hopstop since the last episode, I've enjoyed the following beers. Red Willow Faithless on cask and Burning Sky Easy Answers on the first visit, then Verdant's There Was No Why and Westerham's Wally Winker's Death by Chocolate on the second visit. All superb. I also dropped into the Unbarred Tap Room in Brighton. It was great to see them so soon after having recorded the episode with them and I enjoyed halves of their three Bs, German IPA, Bueno Shake, and the immense Stoutzilla 20. It was great to chat with Brett and the team in the tap room too. The guys were also kind enough to send me their new single hop, single fruit series, and I've had two of them so far, the lovely Bramling Cross and Blackcurrant Saison, and the absolutely exceptional Talus and Grapefruit West Coast IPA which is very much in the running for Beer of the Year for me. At home, I've also enjoyed beers from Duration, Siren, and of course, several more from Unbarred, as well as Brew York's collaboration with Elusive Brewing and the Beer O'Clock show, Red Danson, which again was also an exceptional beer. Okay, that about wraps it up. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Beer Prime UK on both of those and subscribe to this podcast too. You can also visit me on my website, www.beerprime.co.uk. The next episode features Adam Robertson, co-founder of Verdant Brewing down in Cornwall. I hope you can join me for that, and thanks for listening.